Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we're going to talk about the history and legacy of racist and discriminatory laws and policies in the Detroit suburbs. Yes, Metro Detroit is as rich with complicated racial history as the city itself. And at least one mayor, Melanie Piana of Ferndale, has committed to documenting it and changing things going forward. She'll be joined by Tom Segru, a native Detroiter and one of the nation's foremost experts on the history of racist urban policies. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There's a really important exercise taking place right now in the city of Detroit. It's near archaeological in scope, and its implications will be really profound when all is said and done. Detroit, by will of a vote of its people, is working to assess the damage done by the history of racism and discrimination in public and private policy and to contemplate the possibility and scope of reparations. That's really important work that we have been keeping a really close eye on here on Detroit today. But Detroit is not the only city in our region that could benefit from this kind of effort. The suburbs in our region also have rich and complicated histories of discrimination. Some of them were founded and grew strong on the backs of laws and policies that excluded black and brown people. And many of them, despite moving on officially from those inequitable days, still retain powerful vestiges of discrimination, exclusive covenants that are still technically in the books housing patterns, and other economic indicators that still reflect a racist past. All over the metro region, there's this incredible opportunity to dig deeply into this history as a vehicle for determining a more equitable future. I might even go as far to say we can't get to an equitable future in these communities without digging into the past without reckoning with the things that happened before. There's at least one city in Detroit suburbs that is actively trying to understand its own history of racism and discrimination and attempting to create more inclusivity and equity in how it governs its citizens today. I'm talking about the city of Ferndale, where Mayor Melanie Piana has been digging into her city's past and is working to create a, quote, whole government policy approach to equity and inclusivity. We are talking to her about this journey and what she learned, and we have her here with us today on Detroit Today to discuss what's going on. Melanie, welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me here and having this important conversation. Yes, it is a very important conversation. Uh, a little later in the show, we're also going to be joined by uh, Tom Segru, who is a history professor at uh, New York University, uh, a native Detroiter and the author of a number of books, including The Origins of the Urban Crisis, which helps explain the inequities that were baked into Detroit and its suburbs in the past. Uh, that's going to be an important part of the conversation as well. But I want to start, Melanie, with you talking just a little about what you're up to here. Uh, Ferndale was one of the first cities to declare a commitment to being an anti-racist city. So why did you do that? And what does that mean? What does it mean to have a city that is anti-racist? Well, let me start with first that I, my background is in urban planning and economic development, and I believe strongly um, to build thriving, equitable, inclusive communities, whether I'm working in Detroit professionally in my jobs, but also as mayor in the city of Ferndale. And anti-racism, anti-racism, when we declared that, um, it was... Um, immediately after the George Floyd murders. But I want to go back a few years to 2014 to Ferguson, Missouri, when um, another murder occurred. Mm -hmm. And former Mayor Coulter, Dave Coulter, now the executive of Oakland County Coulter, um, really asked, how do we prevent and make sure a Ferguson does not happen in Ferndale? And our police chief at the time, and our police department brought to city council was through their leadership, um, the 21st century community policing, um, which was you know really creating a um, a different approach to policing, and creating more transparency. Um, and thank you, uh, creating more <laughs> transparency in the process and engaging the residents. Um, about how to make our police department um, less warrior um, to more um, engaging and supportive. Hmm. And so fast forward to 2020, um, we had six years putting in that process. And I am very fortunate. I have a very dedicated city council who understands the history of our region um, and some of the policies put in past and our approach really was, and I have a civil rights lawyer, um, Mayor Pro Tem Catherine Bruner James has been a significant partner over the past three years I've been mayor to help us uh, create a more whole government approach to putting more equity and inclusivity um, internally into the local government of how we um, train and set expectations and accountability for our staff, but also how are we looking at planning for the future and looking at policies of the past that we didn't create as leaders, mm -hmm. but have the responsibility, in my opinion, to undo. Um, but also look at how the community, um, whether you are a resident, a business owner, or a visitor, because um, we have a lot of Detroiters who come to Ferndale, um, and what their experience is interacting in our community. So I felt compelled immediately to create this anti-racism declaration and we really got a model of it coming out of a county in Ohio. And it was really about declaring a public health crisis, which wasn't a great fit for Ferndale because we don't have a health department 
and can't address it that way. So we took it um, as how are we going to take the next step further? We have started in our police department, but now we need to go even further in this whole government approach of how do we hire? How do we set accountability internally with our um, directors? And um, because if you are not changing your internal organization and aligning with the organization of values, which for Ferndale, the local government values are progressive, equitable, sustainable, and resilient, leading with innovation um, and inclusivity, among others. And so when you start looking at how do you set up accountability structures to fulfill that pathway forward, because do addressing equity and creating more inclusive policies is ongoing work. You're never done, right? And so I think we really reset expectations from the anti-racism declaration, including starting with um, our city manager looking at how we create pathways of opportunity for employees. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can't look at internally and reset it, how are you going to set policies for the community, right? If you aren't living it and holding yourself accountable. And that is really where the anti-racism declaration, where it it started from and where it's evolving to, right? I I, I wanna back up just a little and talk about some of the things that you've learned about Ferndale and its past that give importance and urgency to the work that you're doing now. I think for a lot of us in this region, um, we go about our days and and our lives not really taking in the things that are all around us that are reminders or vestiges of a really different time uh, in Southeast Michigan. And uh, and that time is defined uh, by racial segregation and, and discrimination. But talk about some of the things that you feel Ferndale has to dig into and reckon with uh, in order to get to an equitable future. I'm going to start with our school district. Uh, we had some inequities um, in our school system, uh, the Ferndale Area School District, and I give, I'm so proud of the former school board and the current school board for really tackling this head on over the last eight years. And they have been partners with the city um, in figuring out where do we um, continue um, looking at policy. Um, For example, the school district years ago created an all digital school, black students, it was in my neighborhood. And um, you know some revenue from that helped pay for the other schools, which was an equitable. The school district got rid of this school, um, and but it was a process working with this neighborhood. Um, so there's an example where um, the city and the school district worked together to address a neighborhood issue surrounding schools. But mostly, our high school was created near on Pinecrest and Eight Mile, which mm-hmm. is on the west side of. Ferndale. And when the school was put in, um, there were some sidewalks that weren't put in from 8 Mile, right? And it has been a longstanding request from um, the school district that we put back in or get money and figure out how to put these sidewalks in. So school children coming from Detroit for schools of choice can actually walk to school from 8 Mile because children do take the bus, they get off at 8 Mile, and then they walk to the high school. Um, So we are 
very excited that we got an MDOT grant to put in the sidewalk um, starting, I think, believe this year or late this year. Um, not only on Pinecrest, and MDOT is going to be putting in the remaining of the sidewalk on 8 Mile. Um, but also, we, you know, this right next to the school, the high school, is the Ferndale Southwest Storage Yard. It mm-hmm. is an industrial nine-acre piece of property that was um, put in place years ago, decades ago, and it holds mulch, trees, um, you know, the refuse from other cities, and it really is an industrial space. It has a wire fence around it. And the north side of the nine acres is Ferndale. And the south side is um, Royal Oak Township. So really between a black neighborhood and a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the school district has also identified this as a, um, you know, inequity that we need to fix. During the pandemic, Councilwoman uh, Laura Mikulski and I met with our city manager and the leadership of Royal Oak Township, the supervisor and residents, Royal Oak Township residents around this property who said, this is a blight. It looks terrible. um, And we would like you to fix this. And um, we immediately put a wrapper around it so you can't see the chain link fence anymore. But ultimately, we are, we have an opportunity to relocate the Southwest Storage Yard mm-hmm. um, to the more industrial area on the east side of Ferndale. And we're going through that process of looking what those costs are right now. But through zoning, we would never have zoned this property industrial between in a neighborhood like that right. now. But this was done decades ago, and now we are trying to um, address this to support Royal Oak Township residents um, and work with in the future, if it does get relocated, what can we envision for this property in the future? It is a brownfield. It has been, um, had some methane gas leak um, from the storage of underground materials for years. So it is a complicated process of Mm -hmm. figuring out if it is relocated, what it could be next. But I'm very proud of our city council for taking action and trying to find a solution um, to this longstanding inequity. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Melanie Piana. She's the Ferndale, the mayor of Ferndale. Uh, she has been digging into the history of Ferndale and working to create an anti-racist, equitable city. Uh, we're talking uh, about not just Ferndale, but all of Metro Detroit and the many municipalities that make it up, uh, the things that happened in the past, the things like laws and policies that were in place uh, that were racist or otherwise discriminatory that have modern day implications uh, to the way that we live uh, in Metro Detroit. And the idea that in order to get to an equitable future, we've really got to look back into those things. We've really got to reckon with the things that happened uh, in the past. We would love to hear from you during this uh, conversation. Uh, what do you think we can do to create more equitable and inclusive Detroit suburbs. Uh, Is there anything that you are a part of if you live here in Metro Detroit that you think uh, is an effort to do this? Uh, Also, give us a call if you're someone who is not enthusiastic about this kind of work. I know that there are lots of folks who get uncomfortable when we want to talk about race and racism, uh, uncomfortable when we want to talk about history and the way it implicates 
our lives today and would implicate the future if we don't do something. Uh, give us a sense of kind of where you fall uh, along that spectrum. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. A little later in the in the conversation, we're going to add Tom Segrew, a history professor at uh, New York University, a native Detroiter who is the author of The Origins of the Urban Crisis, really important book for understanding the inequities uh, that uh, shaped Detroit and its suburbs. Uh, but we want to get started with uh, you, the listeners, on the phones. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Melanie, before we get to, to listeners, I want to talk about some other, uh, some other ways in which this kind of discrimination tends to play out. Housing, zoning laws, infrastructure, uh, you've already talked about policing. That's a big part of it too. But but talk about Ferndale in the context of those other things, both in the past and what you're trying to do now to make sure that uh, we don't repeat those mistakes in the future. Let's go back to 2016, which is pretty much when the real estate market popped back up from the Great Recession. And we in Ferndale had no new housing created on almost eight to 10 years because of that. And I think a lot of other suburbs um, in the city of Detroit experienced the lack of uh, housing being constructed during this time. So from 2018-19, we started to see more housing proposals come into the city, um, mixed-use uh, multifamily um, apartment complexes with retail on the bottom. And we really didn't have a policy or a plan of how to start figuring out where do we need housing, what type of housing, and for whom, and at what attainable salary points can people afford that. Mm -hmm. And we created, um, took a year, but we created an uh, accessible and inclusive housing policy, which council adopted in 2019. And that became our blueprint for guiding how the city uh, needs to be investing in housing. We have quite a few people in Ferndale who take care of us, our, our servers at our restaurants, um, our doctors, our firefighters, our teachers, and they also need to have attainable housing price points. And when you create zoning, the history of zoning is mostly single family homes. And in Ferndale, we zone them single family homes very close to Woodward, which is a major transit line. Um, but we have a history of creating multifamily duplexes and fourplexes in Ferndale. I live near them. Um, and people love living in, you know, these apartments um, close to downtown. So we are really taking a look at through our housing policy and our master planning process, which is the blueprint of how the city needs to grow. I think residents and, you know, in the region of understanding what's in that policy mm -hmm. and Last year, City Council adopted this new blueprint um, called Plan Ferndale, and in it it said we need to relook at our zoning so that we can have more housing options in neighborhoods that have been typically zoned single family, um, starting with duplexes and fourplexes and accessory dwelling units, which most people know as granny flats. Mm. But in Ferndale, you can only build a granny flat above your garage. You need city council approval to get it done. And um, so we're going to be taking a look at how do we streamline this 
um, going forward. Because most people I know who want their parents to live in a granny flat probably don't want to go up some stairs um, to live. Mm -hmm. And so how do we take a look at creating um, more equitable approaches for people uh, who need housing, not just um, um, you know, looking at age and race, um, our LGBTQ community, our seniors really struggle to find housing. So when you look at how does how do we create opportunities and build wealth for the residents um, who want to live in Ferndale, who currently want to maybe downsize but stay in Ferndale, and we don't have the right. Um, types of housing choices for them. It's really about taking this bigger, broader look. And it is a very difficult conversation. I see it happening in every other suburb where more housing is being proposed to be created. Um, But if you don't build more housing, you are leaving people out from even trying to live in your neighborhood, from living um, in your community. And we say, our, our mantra in Ferndale is you belong here. Um, but if we aren't creating the opportunities for actually you to be there, then it's very hard for you to belong there. Yes. So we are really going to be taking on some zoning, re- redoing our zoning policy this year. And that's the two-step process with the city, is that you update your master plan. It's required by law every five years to do it. And then you follow suit with redoing your zoning so your zoning matches your new policy Um, in your master plan. So those are the two tools that residents really need to be paying attention to in their community if housing is something that they want to create, you know, advocate for um, so that more people can be living in their community. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Melanie Piana, the mayor of Ferndale. We'll also start to get to you, our listeners, on social and on the phones. Richard in Huntington Woods, Keith in Detroit, you'll be up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here. We're also going to welcome Thomas Agrew to the conversation when we get back. Remember, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you decided to join us today. We have been talking a bit about Ferndale's history and its future with Mayor Melanie Piana, but the truth is anti-black racism and other parts of uh, discriminatory history were a part of the origin of all of Detroit's suburbs. To talk more about this history here with us is Professor Thomas Segru. He is a history professor at New York University and has written a number of books, including The Origins of the Urban Crisis, which really helps explain the inequities that are baked into Detroit and into Metro Detroit. Uh, Tom, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. It's great to be here again. Yeah. So um, for people who are unfamiliar with your work, talk just a little 
about the Detroit suburbs, uh, the, the, the way that Detroit suburbs were formed and grew, and what the inequalities are that helped construct them. You and I have had conversations on this show in the past about Detroit and the importance of thinking about uh, our own history. Uh, we have not had a conversation really about, about the other municipalities that make up Metro Detroit. Yeah, so uh, often uh, when we talk about suburbs, we assume that they emerge because of the sum of individual choices about people pursuing the American dream, looking for some green space and uh, an, an alternative to urban life. But um, that doesn't really capture what happened in 20th century metropolitan Detroit. Um, the city's suburbs are very much the creature of public policy and specifically of policy decisions that were either made uh, with racial and discriminatory intent or uh, played a critical role in intensifying racial inequality in the metropolitan area. And Ferndale, um, the area around there, I think offers us a really um, case, an excellent case study of this process. Um, Ferndale uh, was carved out of what was Royal Oak Township uh, in, in the 1920s. Uh, a whole series of municipalities, new suburban municipalities emerged, Royal Oak, Pleasant Ridge, Huntington Woods, um, et cetera. Uh, and something very striking happened there, which is about a half a square mile of Royal Oak Township remained and still remains unincorporated. Mm -hmm. That is, it wasn't included in uh, the new municipalities that were um, being created um, in, in the 1920s. And that is now called Royal Oak Township. The reason it wasn't, uh, it was the African-American enclave um, bordering Eight Mile Road and really conjoined with another uh, black neighborhood um, on, on the other side of Eight Mile. Uh, and both of those neighborhoods were um, places where Blacks found open space and housing. They, they built their own homes often in the 1920s, but they were also deliberately cordoned off from surrounding white neighborhoods. Um, by 1940, there, there was a, a wall that was constructed to separate the Eight Mile Wyoming neighborhood in Detroit from uh, a neighborhood being developed for whites. And likewise, uh, uh, Oak Park Township was fenced off, cordoned off um, from surrounding communities. I'm sorry, Royal Oak Township was carved off from um, surrounding communities as well as a way of um, signaling that these were racially separate spaces. And that begins a whole sequence of, of, of processes that um, had really long-term consequences for metropolitan Detroit. Yeah. Um, both, both Eight Mile Wyoming and, and um, Royal Oak Charter Township were, uh, were covered by um, federal housing policies that made it possible for, in metropolitan Detroit, hundreds of thousands of whites to purchase and own their own homes for the first time. Those were not available for the most part, to residents of um, predominantly black neighborhoods, including that little half square mile area, uh, uh, in in what was what was once part of the giant world of mm -hmm. township, and that had devastating consequences over time for wealth, for asset building, and um, perpetuated patterns of racial segregation. So, one of the things that I think is really important to help people understand, uh, kind of the urgency of of these questions, is 
is talking about what they look like today, right? So in, in the 1960s, the federal government, at least, uh, uh, changes uh, profoundly in the way that it deals with race and racial discrimination um, and outlaws a lot of the things that were in place at the time that these suburbs were founded or, or, or constructed. And, and here we are, um, you know, nearly 60 years later, um, still talking about it. Uh, why is that important? What is it that we witness in the world around us today uh, that says we still have to go back to think about these things and uh, actively undo them? So 1968 uh, saw the passage of the Fair Housing Act um, just in the aftermath of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Uh, it forbade discrimination in the sale or, or rental of properties um, uh, in the United States by race, by religion, by uh, national origin, uh, by marital status, etc. Um, but it proved to be very difficult to enforce and easy to end run around. Mm -hmm. um, so it did not have the consequence of opening up large swaths of suburbia to um, equal opportunity and housing as, as many had hoped. So uh, one of the biggest challenges is that real estate brokers um, developed effective strategies mm -hmm. to um, maintain the racial homogeneity of, of suburban communities. And, and they did so by not by explicitly using uh, racist language um, as they had in the past, but rather through more subtle processes. Perhaps the most significant um, is one called steering, um, uh, a term that was uh, first applied actually to metropolitan Detroit um, in the 1970s by scholars attempting to make sense out of what happened after fair housing. Steering is basically real estate brokers uh, showing white buyers homes in overwhelmingly white communities and showing uh, black buyers or other non-white buyers homes in uh, either racially mixed or transitional neighborhoods or in uh, predominantly uh, minority neighborhoods. And um, so it takes, in other words, um, the freedom of choice, which is one of the things that the fair housing legislation of the 1960s intended to give, um, because real estate brokers uh, play the crucial role mm -hmm. in uh, determining what housing is available to whom and where. And so it naturalizes this pattern of racial um, segregation. And then in the 1970s, the federal government uh, at attempted to um, uh, encourage communities to build uh, affordable housing. And one of the biggest battles happened in suburban Detroit in the early 70s mm -hmm. when uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, intervened in uh, Warren uh, and uh, and and uh, caused a huge mass series of mass protests and resistance on the part of Warren officials to use HUD funding to construct um, affordable housing that would be open on a, uh, a, a non-segregated basis in their community. And this was happening all over um, the suburbs uh, in the United States in the 1960s and 1970s. Detroit wasn't alone, but it's a it's a powerful case. Yes. Uh, Melanie Piana, uh, that history that uh, Tom is talking about, of course, uh, bears down pretty strongly on the work that, that, that you're doing. Um, I, I wonder if you can talk a little about the reactions you get from people in Ferndale, many of whom probably 
don't know a lot of the things that, that Tom was just talking about. We were not great at making sure people know what history happened uh, where where they live. Uh, are you encountering people who are saying, hey, wait, wh- why do we have to do this? I don't, I don't understand. Of course. I think that when you're pursuing adaptive change in your community, um, those questions always come up. Ferndale, though, we are really oriented to doing um, significant engagement work with our residents and our inclusive housing um, policy was led by a resident steering committee. So, and the master plan also had a steering committee. And the number one priority that came out of the master plan was housing, is that the city had to focus on housing. So when you have that mandate from your residents to say, help address these challenges that you're facing, of course we need to you know, edu- you know, engage about these issues, um, but also, you know, it is about design, right? When you bring in new housing options, new housing choices, design is really a big uh, part of fitting into the fabric of that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely a, a tension between what developers are offering and what residents de- <laughs> uh, desire. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's in Detroit and in every city, right? We're not... Um, you know, an, an outlier um, in that uh, conversation. Um, but I see it as that the residents have said, you need to do this. And so we are now going through the normal local government processes to address it. But I think that city leaders really need to triangulate what's going on with federal policy with housing and state housing policy. There's a new state housing uh, plan. And, um, you know, a lot of the cities around here in their master plans, because I'm a nerd, I've read their master plans in South Oakland County, a lot of them want missing middle housing, which is the duplexes, fourplexes, smaller apartments, um, and 80, you know, accessory dwelling units, granny flats. How, so the intention is there, um, the need is there, but how do you go about, you know, changing the housing product in your city over time and finding the right development partner. And the challenge is, of course, a lot of these cities don't own the land. They're privately owned, and it's up to the uh, private property owner and who partners with the developer um, to present something to the city that follows their master plan and zoning regulations. So that is the development process where I encourage a lot of residents who um, want to have more of a say in how housing is done in their community, start paying attention to your master plan and zoning mm-hmm. and the development process. Um, Detroit has, you know, nonprofit organizations helping engage residents and teach about um, these process, you know, how to do development in your community and how it works. Ferndale, we don't have those same types of resources. We don't have those nonprofits, um, but it is something that we work with um, with our planning staff and our city council to make sure that we're doing it in a way that is appropriate with our residents. Yeah. So I expect um, some challenging conversations this year as it's going to take a year to get through our zoning reform, doing the engagement um, on this. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, Call and tell us uh, what you make of the history of racism and other forms of discrimination in the formation of uh, Detroit's suburbs. Uh, Let's start today with Keith in Detroit. Keith, welcome to the show. 
How you doing? This is Keith Williams from the. Oh, hey, Keith. How you doing? I'm you? chairman of the Michigan Democratic Party yeah. Black Caucus. Uh, as you know, we did our reparation task force. is now coming to fruition. We're in the, love, in the last phases of it. And so I'm excited about what I'm hearing from the lady, uh, the mayor of Ferndale. I want to know how can we work together to make this whole region equitable so everybody can live and, and, and prosperous and, and, you know, and be a part of the American dream. But historically, I remember hearing from some elderly folks, Ferndale, African-Americans in Warlow Township had to go to Northern High School in Detroit because they couldn't go to Ferndale. Mm-hmm. And so, so how do we do this? How do we work together to close these gaps? Uh, Keith, that's a really important question, and I'm really glad you called uh, to raise it. Uh, Melanie, what are the opportunities to, to work with other communities, not just Detroit, uh, uh, but especially Detroit, because we do have a reparations tax force and we are starting to, to really dig into the same questions. Um, this is a regional problem. Uh, should there be a regional approach? Well, interesting that you say that. The um, Michigan State Housing Development Authority, as part of their state housing plan, is going to be requiring regions to submit regional housing plans. That's just getting started, but I will be paying attention to that as a a city official, what that could look like um, in southeast Michigan and or, you know, southeast Oakland if you wanted to take a more micro scale um, to addressing this problem. Where I would recommend and what really, you know, Um, gets my goat as an elected official urban planner is that we really talk about transit as separate from housing Mm -hmm. and we silo this topic but when you look at creating you know building wealth and creating opportunity and connecting people to jobs it really is along major transit lines and transit routes and that is where in my opinion the regional housing plan needs to be focusing on so when you look at how do you create um, you know, reducing the cost of a housing burden, you know, the burden of 30% of your salary spent on housing. Well, I look at how much do you look uh, pay for transportation on top of housing? And the further out that you live to get to your job is you spend more on transportation. Um, so I have, you know, a different equation in my brain. And I see Woodward Avenue and Gratiot Avenue and Michigan Avenue as the opportunities to really say, this is where we connect people to housing and different mobility transportation choices and giving them the freedom to choose whether you have a car. You know, I have I drive an EV. I have I just bought an e-cargo bike, <laughs> um, but I take the bus to work on the fast line. So I use and leverage all the choices depending on how I want to spend my day. But we have made it really hard to access those mobility and transportation choices. So my recommendation is, is like, where are we putting our housing along major transit lines? I think that's the untapped opportunity for conversation across the region. Yeah. And we've we've failed over and over again uh, at the attempts to, to create real regional transit here. Maybe, um, you know, this this kind of fronting of the equity question in the efforts that you're making and the ones that we're making in Detroit is is kind of a way to break through 
some of those some of those obstacles. Um, okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Mayor Melanie Piana of Ferndale and with Thomas Segru, history professor at New York University. Also, continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Melanie Piana, who is the mayor of Ferndale, and Thomas Segru, who is a history professor at New York University. We're talking about uh, the history of racism and other forms of discrimination and the formation of, uh, of Detroit's suburbs, uh, talking about efforts in Ferndale uh, under the leadership of Mayor Piana to really try to reckon with some of that history and do things now that will send us in a different direction. Uh, also want to hear from you on the phones uh, about uh, the communities you live in here in Metro Detroit and where you see this brand of inequity, where you see vestiges of uh, the open discrimination that existed for such a long time. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you in that way. Let's go to Richard in Huntington Woods next. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Good to hear you, Tom, and the mayor. Um, I'll, I'll, I want to raise a few points and look forward to much further conversation. I moved to Huntington Woods in 1990. They told me it was integrated. I said, what do you mean? They said, it's Jewish and (laughs) non-Jewish. After George Floyd was killed, 300 people marched in the streets saying, Huntington Woods is racist, we're racist. There clearly is an opportunity. Unfortunately, the opportunity is being missed because we immediately go to policy without truth telling. I'm currently working with Friends of Royal Oak Township, Barat, and the Truth Towards Reconciliation Initiative Hmm. coming out of that, because I knew nothing about the history of South Oakland County Mm -hmm. when I moved there. Most of my political work has been in Detroit, Mm -hmm. and I've been doing more in the suburbs over the last four or five years. I, I want to suggest to the mayor and to this show that we begin to hear the voices of the Friends of Royal Oak Township the people who were most affected by a hundred years of racist discrimination, the creation of every city was built, as Tom alluded to, through the creation of villages and cities to exclude black people. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. James Baldwin talked about truth-telling. We can't get the truth-telling and reconciliation until folks like this, the mayor, and the people in these nine communities, white communities that were created in the 20th century, begin to look at our history, look at our, the need to heal, look at the values, and, and, and get to reparations, which is much more than financial. Sure. Uh, so, much more than financial. So I want to emphasize to invite Friends of Royal Oak Township and for the mayor to sponsor a Zoom open forum with the, his, the true history of the region and not just start with policy as though it's 
10, 15, 20, or even 50 years old. Thank so, you very much. So, Richard, I, I, I think that's a great idea, and we're certainly open here on the show to having that conversation with Friends of Royal Oak Township, which is an organization that until just now I, I was uh, uh, unaware of. I think those are really uh, important voices. Uh, Tom, I want to start with you, though, in responding here. The question about how we do this, how we fix this, uh, is really important, and it is somewhat, uh, somewhat complicated because um, uh, you know we all live in the in the communities we live in now. Uh, what would you imagine would be a, a reasonable way to fix what went wrong uh, when African Americans were excluded from living in in uh, these other municipalities and and left in Royal Oak Township, what's, what's, what's a reasonable way to fix that today? Yeah, well, that's a, a, a really big question with uh, sure. not one easy answer. <laughs> but let me say that um, uh, Rich's suggestion of um, holding meetings and doing community education and um, really bringing a history that very few people in, in these communities have any idea of to light is critical. Uh, I think history provides us not just with facts about the past, but with um, insight into um, those historical legacies and how they shape those communities today. So, I mean, one thing we have to think about is um, why is it that we continue to have an inequitable distribution of resources across municipal boundaries? Mm -hmm. um, and, and thinking about uh, the kinds of regional connections that uh, that Mayor Piana suggests, and I think a lot of her ideas are really good ones, um, uh, requires um, really thinking about ways of breaking down not just the barriers um, of color between one community and the next, but also um, the really significant barriers in opportunities and resources. Every municipality is basically a tub on its own bottom, mm -hmm. um, and that means that there are that that political goods and and services are really inequitably di distributed across space, with the burdens falling especially hard on uh, on, on communities of color like like Royal Oak Township. I, I think one other uh, uh, issue to grapple with as we as we look at the legacy of the past is one that um, that, that Keith Williams uh, brought up in his uh, call, which is thinking about um, ways of repair, um, of reparation. And that's a messy and complicated issue too. And it's mm -hmm. one that needs to be done by more than just a single municipality. I mean, Evanston, Illinois, outside of Chicago is, is doing it now. It's a small scale experiment, but we do have to think more broadly about the long-term effects of the inequitable distribution of wealth, mm -hmm. profoundly inequitable uh, between African-Americans and whites, which is largely the story of suburban housing markets. And blacks in the United States today have about one-tenth of the household wealth of whites. And that has implications for every part of the life course from paying for college to um, leaving an inheritance to your kids to covering extraordinary medical expenses, et cetera. And we need to think more systematically, not just as, as individual towns, but as individual towns in collaboration with others, with the state um, and with the federal uh, government as well. So mm -hmm. we need to think both small and big, yeah. local and national. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Piana, quickly, I'd love to have you respond uh, specifically to Richard and this, this idea of hey, should we all be talking together about these things, reckoning with the, the past between Royal Oaks Township and these other municipalities? How do we do that? Some of these conversations have been um, going on. What I'm hearing is that we need a, a more focus and a more consistency on it. 
um, and I'm open to doing the, um, you know, virtual conversation. For me, the most impactful professional experience I had was being the chief operating officer at Jefferson East on Detroit's east side, working on housing um, and economic development for Jefferson Chalmers District. And there, Detroiters shared their experiences with me about how the long-term Detroiters who stayed and the, the, the traumas that they've experienced over decades um, from the disinvestment in their neighborhoods. And, but I was also inspired by their commitment to you know, reimagine what their neighborhood could look like, but also keeping their true sense of identity and, and their culture. And I think that's a lot of what I think Royal Oak Township conversation would be similar to the ones I've had there. So I just want to say thank you for the Detroiters who shared with me their personal experiences um, because that has changed um, how I think as a leader and how I think as a professional and definitely has shaped how I serve as mayor. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, Richard, really appreciate the call and, and all the information uh, that you shared with our listeners. Uh, let's quickly get to Mike in Gross Point. Mike, we've only got a few minutes left, but I want to get you into the conversation here. Go ahead. Good morning, Stephen. Hey. So we have a situation of racism in Gross Point right now. And here's what it is, and it needs to be made known and addressed. The superintendent of schools has ordered the park adjacent to Barnes School closed over on Morningside and Fairford Road across from Our Lady Star of the Sea in Gross Point Woods. So they're blaming the dogs that people aren't picking up after their dogs. All the entrances have been padlocked and no one can use the park. The true reason is African-American teens like to use the basketball courts, particularly on weekends, and the powers that be don't like that. Mm -hmm. And that needs, needs to be made public. And the fact of the matter is there's enough African-Americans in Gross Point to make a basketball team. So these kids could clearly all live in Gross Point, but it doesn't matter. They're black and Gross Point doesn't want them playing basketball. And it's disgusting and it needs to end. That's my comment. Yeah, Mike, I, I, I am glad you called and, and gave us that example. I think it's important for a couple of reasons. We've been kind of focused on Oakland County and South Oakland during this conversation. This is an issue that exists across Metro Detroit, at Gross Point, uh, Dearborn, uh, North Oakland County. These are all places uh, that we have these these issues. But but this issue of you know who belongs and who doesn't is is also just a longstanding uh, uh, tension here in, in Metro Detroit. Uh, many of us are old enough to remember when Dearborn uh, did something similar with, with its parks, uh, saying that only, quote, residents uh, could, could use it. Um, uh, you know, this is the way that, that these things from the past cast forward into, into now, and uh, it is important to call them out uh, and and to, to determine that we're going to do something different and, and something better. Uh, Melanie Piano, we've got about a minute left. Um, uh, talk about what's next uh, in Ferndale. What's next in Ferndale is really focusing on um, mobility and transportation and really tackling our zoning 
conversation and reform over the next year, and I encourage residents to get involved. Um, we also have a Fern and Learn program, a new way to learn about how local government functions. Um, it's up to, we have 30 seats and about 22 people have registered, but you can go to ferndalemi.gov and learn more about how your local government functions um, to be part you know, to be a good advocate in your community about the things um, that are changing. Okay, uh, Melanie Piana and Tom Segru, it was really wonderful to have both of you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow and we're going to have more great programming here on Detroit Today. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. Thank you.